Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. There's a, um, a book that's out that's called The Unsaved Christian. Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. And I was going to ask you a question, and that is, how many of you know someone that might identify themselves as a Christian, but they have been hurt or gotten tired or gotten cynical about church? How many of you know people like that? Um, I don't think it's unique. I think it's a cultural thing, but I, I think that Long Island probably has a pretty large quota of unsaved Christians. If you can put quotes around that and think about that for a minute. There are, there are so many people on, around us that uh, some of you grew up with, some of you attended church with, and they don't go anymore. They are not interested in the church. They have lost their sense of hope and faith in the church. And um, I just, I just, uh, I think it would be good for us to have a growing burden about that. Because there's a lot of people that um, have so much have so much of what God deposited in them. And it's kind of like, if you remember the story Jesus shared a couple of times about people given talents, and the one person that has the talent that he buries in the soil, and then the master returns and he has nothing to produce. And it's just sad to think about what a waste. What a waste to think about the people that we know that God's deposited His gifts and calling and His gold, so to speak, in them, His glory. And there's nothing in return. There's nothing being shown for it. And so, uh, before I begin, I, I just that burden just came to me during worship this morning. And I just thought it would be good for us to pray. So, again, let me ask you a question. How many of you and I'd like you to acknowledge this. How many of you would say that you know at least one person that would identify themselves as a Christian, but uh, they don't live as a Christian? I don't mean that they're an awful person or anything like that, but they just have gotten burned, they're hurt by the church, and they just don't want to be part of that anymore. How many of you know somebody like that? It's a lot of us. And so let's just pray right now that maybe we could be a place where God could bring healing to their lives. So Lord, I just pray for those people that we know that are around us. Um, I just thought of looking at it, uh, I just thought of our neighbor a couple doors down here on Pembroke that, uh, that I met a couple months ago that went to Smithtown Christian that works with I think she works with Jackie, if I remember right. She grew up in church. 
I don't have all the details, Lord, but she grew up in church and now she's married and has a family and church is not part of her world. And I just pray for families like that this morning. Those that we know, we just uh, want to carry the burden that they carry and help be part of, maybe, maybe we could be part of helping restore them to a place of, of fellowship, not just with you, but fellowship with a healthy group of believers, whether it's us or whoever it might be. We just ask that that would happen. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And before we get there, I want you to think about a couple of things. We're, this Sunday is kind of bracketed between two major Jewish holidays. Now, Jerry, you can't answer this question. But, uh, so what are the two holidays? Some of you should know because you just got a couple days off from school for it. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is actually almost, you know, almost the high point of Jewish holidays. And one of the things I was thinking about this morning, getting ready to look at this passage in Philippians, is that um, every time the Israelites follow the Lord's direction and they, they built the tabernacle the way he prescribed, or they built the temple the way he prescribed, the way they knew that he approved of what they did, approved of the plan, was this, the description every time in the scriptures is that the glory of God fell on the temple. The glory of God fell. The glory, the presence, the reality of God moving heaven to earth. So they had a glimpse of what heaven looked like. Um, and that theme of glory has been a major theme throughout the scriptures. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says, The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if that's true, it makes you wonder, so where, where is it? How come we don't seem to be experiencing it? Another passage, uh, Hebrews or Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the glory of God the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's a prophetic word that we're still waiting to be fulfilled because we know it's not completely true yet. And then there's another passage that most of you could quote. So you can help me with this this morning. All have sinned and what? Fallen short of what? The glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that is a presenting problem. That is an issue that we all have to deal with. We've all had to deal with it at specific points in our life. And I think that's not just a salvation issue. That's... That's an issue, I think, that's a daily issue that we all face. Because we, we sin or we default to our way of thinking. And as a result, we end up falling short of God's way of thinking, which is representing His glory in our life. So if sin is falling short of the glory of God, <clears throat> then the remedy or the restoration from sin is necessarily the restoration to glory, giving, opening up a pathway that says there's the door, 
go through that door <clears throat> and you will experience the falling of God's glory on your life or on your family or on your church or on your business or wherever it is that we would want God's glory to fall. Our school, wherever it would be. And the restoration of this glory <clears throat> is ultimately the true purpose of the redemption of Christ. That's why we, every month, celebrate the Lord's table because it represents, I mean, if His glory doesn't fall here, where else is it going to fall in terms of the means of grace that are expressed through the, the cup and the bread that we share together? And so, <clears throat> does anybody know what, in the Scripture what the word glory means? Hmm? Weight. Not like weight. It means like heavy. The heaviness of God. The weightiness of God. Um, the, the deepest sense of, think of it as thickness, or the, the, the width, the breadth. Everything is just, all, just filling the room. Filling the space that we're in. And so, with the idea of glory... God's glory, as aesthetic and ethereal as that might be, what I want to do is take and insert that in our thinking in Philippians chapter 2. So if we could put that up there, Emily, or you guys can turn in your Bible to that. Paul, and let me just read through this passage first. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and please make sure you notice Father, Son, and Spirit are all in this passage. Any affection and sympathy, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, or you could say, of greater glory than yourselves. So I want to stop for just a minute at verse 4, and I want you to turn to somebody else and say, you have greater glory than I have. You have greater glory than I have. Turn to somebody else and say it. You have greater glory than I have. Okay? You have greater glory than I have. You are more significant than I am. I don't know if you experience but sometimes it's a little difficult to say that. To actually say to someone, especially if it's someone we don't have a very high opinion of, to say, you are more than significant than I am. But that's what Paul was saying. And the Im Im implication is he was saying, you have more glory than I do. You have more of God's glory than I do. And I need part of it. I need to share that glory with you. So verse 4. Let each of you look not only out for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or let his mindset become your motivation who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross, on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all moving throughout this passage. And the attitude that's described by Paul is an attitude of Jesus which was to reveal the glory of the Father and to give us the privilege and the ability to gain access to His glory. That's that's everything what the Gospel is. It's about giving us access to His glory. And His attitude was to come and rescue us. You all need to recognize, once again, we all have to be rescued. We're all in need of being rescued. And so Jesus' attitude was to come and rescue us in order for us to be glorified so that we can resume the human existence that we were supposed to have before the fall when Adam and Eve traded the glory of God for the glory of whatever they thought they were going to get in exchange for disobeying God. So I want you to look back at verse 5. And if we can put that passage back up there and look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ. Let this mindset, mindset become your motivation. That's the glory of Jesus' attitude. That's the pinnacle for every one of us. That's the attitude that we need to have remembering that, that in the garden there was a call to Adam and Eve from God, a question. Adam and Eve, where are you? What was their response? We hid. We were afraid. Then the new Adam comes and he hears the same question from God the Father. Adam, Jesus, where are you? And Jesus' response is, Father, I'm right here. And it's interesting, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says, and by the way, look behind me. And guess who's behind him? You are all behind him. Because Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says that Jesus answers the call or the question of the Father, here I am, and here are the sons and daughters of glory that I've acquired for you by coming to the earth and wading through that mess called sin and the fall and finding them and saying, come on, come on. And He's grabbing all of us by the hand and pulling us to the Father and, saying, and presenting us to the Father and saying, here are the sons of glory that You sent Me to get for You. That's the glory of Jesus' attitude. That's the mindset. That's the mindset that Jesus, is supposed, that Jesus carried and that we are to bring or to bear in one another in terms of bearing God's glory to one another. And if we do, if we're busy looking for God's glory in each other, guess what we don't have time for? We don't have time to be upset with each other. We don't have time to be critical of each other. We don't have time to get bitter towards one another. We don't have any time for disunity. Because we're too busy trying to find a way to make sure that you're more significant than I am. Or vice versa. We're trying to find ways to find the glory in one another and we don't have time to do all the other stuff that happens. And I'm kind of convinced that that's why the church gets so messed up is because we've lost, this is the center point of what we need to be. So there's the glory of Jesus' attitude and then there's the glory of His incarnation and death. And so if you look at that passage again in verses 6-8, through the phrase at the end of this is even death on the cross. If Jesus had not come to the earth 
there would be no death on the cross. So he had to come. He had to come in human form in order to obtain for us what we need to have. Someone said that the prime purpose of the incarnation is to lift us up into a life of communion to participate in the very nature of the Trinity, the triune nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they love each other. They spend time talking about each other, like, you're, you're amazing. No, you're amazing. You're amazing. And they want to have us join in that conversation so that we're running around going, you're amazing. No, 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 you're more amazing than me. No, you're more amazing than me. That's the conversation that should be happening. And if that's happening, there's no time for disunity. There's no time for putting people down because of what we're seeing in one another. The incarnation represents the depths of His love for us where He entered into this murky mess that is called the fall and suffered to the point of the depth of corruption to reveal to us the glory of the Father so we would, that we would be unable to apprehend in any measure, let alone fully, the nature of the Father and His gift towards us and the, gift and the glory that He gives to us. John chapter 1, verse 14. Describes Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen Him. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message and the ministry and sacrifice of Jesus perfectly reveals the nature of God as we sang this morning as a good, good Father. You are good. You are good. He reveals everything that we need to know. He's the pinnacle of the glory of the Father. And when we see that, that's the only way verses 1 through 4 in this passage make any sense. When Paul's saying, you know, consider one another as more significant than the other. Be an encouragement to each other. Think of one another with a high attitude. They don't, that doesn't make sense unless Jesus is in the middle of the picture. And so the other thing in verses 9 through 11, if we can go back to that, Emily, is the glory of Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and promotion to authority. God has highly exalted him. And as I described, as he was exalted, he didn't just get there and say, wow, look at the amazing job that I did. But what he had was you and me behind him. With all, he's busy handing us to the Father, constantly saying, here, here's another one for you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I want you to think about the, the weightiness of this. Every time you and I experience the glory of the Father, where we just, you know, whether it's like, a, it could be a moment where we're looking at our son or daughter and we're just going, wow, they're just, they're amazing. Or we're with a friend and we're having dinner 
And we're just going, that, oh, this is such a great time. Every time that happens, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going, hey, hey, look what's going on. Look, look. They're experiencing the glory. They're experiencing our presence in the midst of them. It can happen. It can happen through a glass of wine. It can happen through a conversation. It can happen through a a moment of prayer. It can happen in worship. It can happen in the middle of a three-on-three football game, even when someone tweaks a hamstring because you're watching the glory of God happen with men in fellowship with one another, and you go, there's nothing like this. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going, Look, they're getting a taste of our glory. And they put in us what we call faith, and the faith produces this desire to do it again. Because here's what happens. When you you experience God's glory in that measure, in that way, it spoils you forever. Because nothing else is like it. You don't want anything else. And when you go into a situation where the measure you've experienced is this measure of glory, and then you go into another situation where the measurement's smaller, you go, what's this? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? That when you touch it, when you taste it, it's like when you taste a steak that's prepared the way it's supposed to be prepared, you go, every time you have steak, you're spoiled. Because if it doesn't taste like that, you go, I need one of those other ones because it doesn't taste the same. And when you taste the presence of God in a certain way, it spoils you because it makes you hungry once again, not to just to go back and reminisce, but to be hungry for more and to go after more of what God has. If we could pull up John chapter 17 on the screen and bear with me because I want to jump around just a little bit. John 17 is the prayer that Jesus prayed prior to going to the cross. And some people would say that this is really, this is the prayer he was praying when he said, not my will, but your will be done, and so on and so forth. It's called the priestly prayer because he's engaging with the Father before he completes the the act that he came to the earth to do, which is to go to the cross and be resurrected from the dead and then go back to his father and say, here are the sons and daughters of glory. So it's significant because if you look at the word glory in that chapter, and I just encourage you later when you get home, just read through John 17 and pay attention to this interaction between the father and the son. But look at verses, if we could jump down, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Let's see, how can I do this? Um, where are we at here? Um, go to verse 5. Go to the next screen. Okay. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with them before the world existed. Just kind of let that soak in for just a minute. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That should remind you of something, that Jesus the Son was with the Father and the Holy Spirit and existed before all of this existed. And they created the world. And when they were creating, 
when they spoke life into existence, they spoke life out of the glory. Before the fall, the glory of the Lord filled the earth. And Adam and Eve made a decision. Glory of God there, and they were ready to walk into the glory of God and to live in His glory for all of eternity. And they decided, there's something over here instead that I want. And they turned their back on the glory of God. And that's why we continue to fall short. And so verse 5 says, Father, glorify me now in your presence. And if we could jump down to verse 20. There we are. I don't ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe me in their through believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. Catch this. The glory that you have given me, what's it say next? I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me before the foundation of the world. So here's the picture, everybody. Think about this question first. How many arguments do you think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have to work out? Zero. How many times have they been upset with each other? Zero. How many conflicts have they ever had? Zero. How, how often have they ever been in disunity? Never. And so Jesus is saying, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave to me. I've given it to them so that they could enjoy the same thing that we enjoy, that we get along all of the time. How is that working out for us? Because every time disunity or brokenness is represented, it means that we are not living in the glory that Jesus gave to us. And it's kind of like He handed it to us and we go, eh, no thanks. I've got a better idea. One of the common questions I ask when I'm in a counseling session is, how's your better idea working out for you? The better idea is to turn back to the glory and if we receive His glory and then we extend His glory to each other, then what happens is we begin to notice, wow, that person isn't quite so ugly as I thought they were. That person isn't quite so difficult to be around as I thought they were. That person isn't quite so cantankerous as I thought they were. All of a sudden we find out we can enjoy one another because we start seeing the glory because they're demonstrating the glory as well. In verses 22 through 24, it says, The glory you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one as we are one. Father, I desire that you may also, that they may also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am before the foundation of the world. So he's wanting us to get back to the place when everything that we enjoy was spoken into existence. When the greatest act of creativity that ever happened in all of eternity, 
He wants us to go back to that point so that we can understand what it's like to be there at that moment. Because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they created all of this, I'm sure they were sitting there going, giving each other, I don't know if they did this or not. It's the way my brain thinks. I think they're giving each other high fives and going, yes, look at that. And they threw out the, the sun and the, you know, they threw out the stars, they threw out the, the seas, and then the pinnacle of creation. They created a man. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, that man is going to bear our glory. Look at that. He's one of us. He's one of our creation. And then when they determined that the man should not be alone, they put the man asleep and took a rib out of him. And they created a woman. And Adam, And Adam and Eve were standing there and Adam is going, whoa, man. And there's the woman. And celebrating this gift that God give, had given, this gift of glory that God had given. And you know, when a husband and wife are enjoying the gift of glory that God has given, that's why Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 5 that, that that's a picture of the church because there's nothing like that. Anywhere on the planet when that's happening the way it's supposed to be happening. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look at Adam and Eve and I think they're giving high fives and shouting and going, wow! The angels are probably all going, you guys are amazing at what you've just done. And so... I don't know if I made this up or if it... I've got quotes on it, so I don't think I made this up. Unity is not the result of preaching on unity. It's the result of people adoring and emulating Jesus. The more we behold His glory and imitate His character, the more unified we will be as a church. So, we glory in His resurrection, you know, His death... The incarnation, we glory in his death and resurrection. We glory in his ascension because one day everybody is going to declare Jesus Christ is Lord, which is he's ultimately the picture of glory. But finally, what Paul illustrates for us is we glory in our relationships. We share in this glory and we are to delight in sharing his glory with one another. We're never supposed to keep the glory for ourselves. It becomes like manna that the Israelites kept because they didn't trust God. And then the next day, what happened to the manna if they kept it? It was spoiled. So his glory is always meant to be given away. Whether it's killing a spider, and I'm going to have Jerry share a testimony a little bit, whether it's praying for someone to be healed, whether it's praying for someone to come to know Jesus for the first time, we're supposed to be giving his glory away. Amy sat all day yesterday, almost all day, at Hobbs Farm. And I don't know if you've seen the stuff that Amy's doing, the craft work that she's doing. But I had this picture just now, Amy, that every time you sit there with the work that you've done, it's amazing because Stephanie saw a, a, a what do you call those, pebble art things that you've done? 
Stephanie saw it on Facebook or Instagram. And I don't know if you sold any more after that, but one of Amy's sales yesterday was done over the phone or by text because it was a picture of, I don't mean to, Stephen, you've got to get used to this if you're going to be here, but it, it, may, it reminded her of her and Stephen sitting with Maggie on one of their first dates. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. Right there. So doing craft, crafts and sitting at Hobbs Farm is as much, if not more, the glory of God than me standing up here speaking from the Word. That's the glory of God. When someone connects with Him and connects with another person, we're to delight in seeing His glory in each other. We're to delight in calling out His glory in each other. This is a quote. I submit that the level of joy in a person, a family, a city, or a nation in the world is the direct measure of how we stepped into the knowledge of the reality of the glory of God. So if we could pull back up Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In particular, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant of greater joy than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the glory of God. Now, here's what happens that we have to protect against, and I'll wrap up with this. If I look at you and you're acting like the old Adam, I'm going to go, that's kind of ugly. And so I have an opportunity to do kingdom confrontation, which is to call you out and say, hey, why are you behaving like that? You're a son or daughter of glory. So act like you have the glory. And so I call it out, and, and we reconcile, and we enjoy the glory of God together with one another again. And when that's happening, we don't have time for disunity. We don't have time for conflict because we are busy looking at who the new Adam is in each one of us. We, we've died to the old Adam. We've died to the old Adam because of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do as we get ready for communion. I want you to look at each other right now and I want you to say this to each other. I see the glory of Jesus in you. Even if you don't believe it, even if you were in a fight on the way to church this morning, I don't care what it is, I want you to look at each other and say, I see the glory of Jesus in you. 